beloved congregation, we come before the Lord and his word as we've read the story of the Syrophoenician uh, woman, and uh, we see remarkable faith. We believe that salvation begins with regeneration, with the work of God's Holy Spirit, a work that uh, Christ himself does by the power of his spirit, and there are some unusual responses that our Savior gives to this woman who is not strictly of the household of Abraham. She may be of the household of faith, as we shall see, but not of the household of Abraham. She comes with a sense of urgency. We're in Matthew 15 and verse 21 or 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And she cries out to him with a great deal of urgency. Now, in terms of the context here, we see that the Lord Jesus has actually retired from uh, really ministering to his people, and he's gone to uh, the, the coast of Canaan. Uh, and some people have called this a retreat, and Christ often did that. He went away for a time uh, just for rest. He had a human body. That body did need rest, and he retreated, sometimes for prayer, praying through the night, sometimes just for resting his body because he was exhausted. And here he seems to have gone for that for that purpose, just to have left the, the place where his ministry was really focused and gone to get away. But here's this woman who knows him. Uh, We don't know how she's heard about him. Uh, News didn't travel as quickly then as it does today. We know everything instantaneously from the other side of the world. Um, But somehow she heard. She heard not only about the Lord Jesus Christ, she believed that he was her savior. Uh, It's very remarkable, and another reminder that the work of salvation is a sovereign work of God who ministers where and how he pleases. Never apart from his word, as we shall see also, but always by the power and direction of his sovereign will. So this woman comes, she hears that Jesus is in the area, and this is her great opportunity. She Uh, runs to where he is and uh, falls down at his feet and has this great sense of desire that if her daughter is going to be delivered from these demons, that Christ alone can do it. She is utterly convinced that that Christ is the answer to her prayers. And what she pleads for is mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord. And in all of that, she acknowledges that the Lord is the one that gives mercy. So have mercy upon me, Lord. So she acknowledges here that he does have power. He does have authority. And not just a master in uh, the physical relationships of uh, the earth, but my, O Lord, thou son of David. So here is a Gentile acknowledging that this Jewish rabbi is the son of David. 
It's a messianic phrase. She says that you are the one that the scriptures have spoken of. And again, we don't know how she understands all this. She must have had access to the scriptures or some teaching. We know that the Lord works according to his truth, uh, not not just arbitrarily apart from his word, but he works through his word. She knew that this, she had this concrete information that he was the Lord and that he was the son of David. And that salvation was of the Jews as the, the Lord told the woman at the well. So here's, she comes and she hears that he's here and uh, she bows down and, and beseeches him, begs him. And her request, what is her request? My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. So here again, she's not asking directly for herself. She's asking for her daughter. Have mercy upon my daughter. So all of this seems the natural, the right thing to do, doesn't it? It just, you, you know about Christ. You acknowledge that he's, he's uh, the Messiah. You acknowledge that he has the ability, if he has the will, to heal and cleanse her daughter. And yet, not only the Lord, but the Lord's disciples also seem to throw up roadblocks and seem to offer her resistance. So uh, we often plead uh, with people and, and uh, encourage them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're kind of on the uh, wondering which way they should go and just trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. We very rarely send people away who are willing, they, they're desirous, they acknowledge who Jesus is, and we say, well, you don't really fit in. And in a way, that's really what Jesus is saying here. And Jesus here uh, is disinterested. He's not uninterested, but he's disinterested. He's uh, kind of neither here nor there. Uh, on this matter. And the writer Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, says, but he answered her not a word. We can think about perhaps uh, anxious requests that you've had for the Lord. Pouring out your heart and laying all of uh, your needs before him. And the Lord not responding uh, immediately. Here he is in her very presence. And he just ignores her. And she's, she's begged him to do what he alone can do. That's what she confesses. Only you can, can heal my daughter. And uh, she, she lays all this be before him. And he just sits there and ignores her. It's very remarkable. And what is her response? Verse 23, uh, again, he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. So she cries the more, and she knows. This is the exercise of faith, regardless of how Christ responds to me or how I think he's responding. Uh, I know that my answer is going to come from him alone. I can't go anywhere else. Only Christ is going to, is, needs to hear me. He needs to hear me. 
And so the disciples are annoyed. They say, send her away. She's, she's annoying us. Which is a remarkable response. And we do need to be aware that we're not annoyed by those who are unbelievers. We live, beloved, in such a time where people do not know even the basic facts about the Bible. We live in such a materialistic and secular world that people are not acquainted with eternity. They never think of eternity. Uh, they never consider really what happens after death, for instance. So today it's very commonplace, again, even, even in many churches, when somebody passes away, not to have a funeral service, but to have a celebration of life. And as if we don't really want to deal with, with death. I think at every funeral service, we always celebrate, so to speak, the life of the person. We have good memories of the person who has passed away. It's not that we ignore the blessing that they've been to us, especially if they're the Lord's people. But a funeral service is a time when we, are, we slow down and we face death and we think, one day I'm going to be lying in that coffin just like that. And am I ready for that? Am I ready to face Christ on the other side as, as my judge? Is he going to receive me or is he going to reject me? So here is, a, a, we, we live in a world where the basic facts of the Bible are not known. People are ignorant. Uh, they don't know who Noah was. They don't know who Adam was. Uh, they don't know who King David was or who Matthew, Mark, and John are. Uh, we just live in a world of biblical ignorance. And so we have to inform people. We can often become annoyed uh, when we speak about these things in the scriptures and people say, well, what do you mean? Well, what do you mean, what do I mean? Uh, it's a good opportunity to, to present the gospel. And we need sometimes grace to not be annoyed at people's ignorance uh, because a lot of these things are precious to our souls. Uh, they've, they've just been with us for years and for decades uh, sometimes some of us since we were children we've uh, heard these precious truths and become more and more precious to us the names have meaning uh, to us and yet these people are woefully ignorant of the basics of the scripture <clears throat> and here the the uh, disciples seem to be annoyed because she doesn't really belong uh, she's she's in our in our way as we're trying to rest and relax and recover our energies. Um, she's just making a lot of noise as far as they were concerned. Send her away, Lord. Uh, we're, we're weary of all of her crying. So the disciples had lost that sense of compassion. And then the Lord Jesus himself seems to reject her. In verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You don't, you don't have a right 
to make these demands of me. God has his covenant people. And I'm come first to the Jewish nation. Even though John says he came unto his own and his own received him not, yet he ministered to them and showed them the meaning of the Old Testament scriptures, all of which pointed to him. So when he did that, he was largely rejected, rejected by the powers that be, rejected by the established uh, church, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes. And he was not, not well uh, received by them, but th he came to uh, look for the lost sheep of Israel. But he said, that's who I came to minister to, and you're not one of them. So that seems like an unusual uh, statement from the Lord Jesus, who is loving, who receives sinners, who is compassionate above all men, and yet he says, yeah, you're not part of my ministry. You're not part of my calling. You're not Jewish. Uh, you don't qualify for my uh, gospel blessings. And he says in verse 26, he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. So now he not only appears disinterested or careless about her, he actually insults her. So dogs were not the kind of pets that we keep in our homes uh, these days. They were, they were um, just miserable uh, animals that got in the way. Uh, and you remember in Revelation, that's part of the description of people that are without the kingdom are their dogs. Uh, that's the description, whatever that uh, might mean. That's, what, that's the label that's used, very derogatory. Um, so he says to this Syrophoenician woman, uh, it's not good, it's not meat for me to take the children's bread and to give it to dogs. You're not a child. He's saying, you're not a sheep, you're a dog. And Christ just seems to be distancing himself from this woman who is begging for his mercy just wants him to be compassionate to her. But we see wonderful things in this woman. And the greatest thing we see is perseverance. So has this woman already had faith all along? She's a believer. She, she's already cast her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So she has this humble adoration. Verse 25, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. So, um, and here's an interesting thing that we should be aware of. This word for worship, proskuneo in the, in the Greek, is in most, not most necessarily, but many popular modern translations is translated knelt down. She knelt down. Technically, that's what that word means. It means to kneel and worship. But 
in every place that this has been used in the New Testament, it always refers to acknowledging Christ as God. Even in, even in um, Revelation, where the Apostle John uh, falls down and worships the angel, he is worshiping that angel as if it is God. And the angel says, stop that, get up, I'm only a man, don't worship God, um, and not me. So it's very important, I think it's very important to translate this correctly. She does worship him. And the context, the way in which this word is used in the New Testament always means that she acknowledges Christ to be God. So this is, again, very remarkable display of faith. And then she makes this request in verse 25, Lord, help me. Again, she calls him her master and help me. And she has this agreement with the Lord uh, when he says, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast two dogs. She says, truth, Lord. And she agrees with him. Yeah, that's what you've said is absolutely true. That makes, that makes sense. And yet she comes with her honest argument in response. She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So if I'm just a dog, let me have some crumbs. And notice that how she phrases that as well, from the, my, her, their master's table. I just want, you are my master, and I want a crumb from your table. I know that your table is the place where I need to eat, where I need to feed, where I need to exercise my faith and trust. So she has this, this perseverance, all this opposition, not only from the disciples, but from the Lord Jesus himself, who appears to oppose her. And where did she get that faith? She got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows, doesn't he? He knows that this is one of his own. He knows that who he's given faith to. Like the woman that touched the hem of his garment, he's who touched me. Of course, he knew who had touched him. Uh, he's, he's God. He, he was aware. But he, he was teaching her a lesson. And here is Christ teaching this Gentile woman the lesson of faith, the lesson of perseverance, the lesson of pressing on, uh, giving very, very unusual answers. Answers that his disciples... And other Jewish people might have well just gone along with, yet yeah, that's right, Lord, she doesn't belong, she's not one of us. And he appears almost to be taking up the argument of the Pharisees, right? We are God's people, and he will never leave us regardless of how we treat him or regardless of how we worship him. Uh, we are God's people by reckoned by genealogy. Uh, we are who we are, because of our descent, because of our heritage. We can go trace our lineage back to Abraham. They were proud of that. But the prophets in the Old Testament kept telling them, you need to, you, you boast in your circumcision. Jeremiah, Moses say, you need to circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. It's your heart that I want. 
Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life, says Solomon. So here is, the, is the, the Lord wanting the heart, and here she comes to him with all of her heart, and still now he appears to be very disinterested. And she perseveres because she knows that this is the place uh, where she is going to receive uh, what she requires. And then finally she receives honor from Christ. Truth, Lord, verse 27, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then answered, Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And the Lord actually ends up commending her. What great faith you have. You've you've persevered through every opposition, even opposition from Christ himself, even opposition from the Son of God to whom you've appealed. And what a tremendous demonstration this is of faith. Her daughter was healed immediately. So, beloved, as we consider these things this evening, what is it that you require of the Lord? What is it, the the great urgency of your heart? We are so easily swept away with the the pleasures and the leisure of our uh, modern age. Uh, We find it uh, challenging sometimes to do things that are challenging. It's very easy to just sit back and uh, do things the way the world tells us to, to relax, and we often take heed and, and relax. And we don't think of those things that are really urgently bearing upon our souls, the things that, that we desperately, desperately need. You can think of uh, William Wilberforce, that great British statesman, who uh, never lost an election. He started, I think, when he was 21 years old. He was constantly reelected, and he saw the evil of slavery and the slave trade, and he tried his best to get legislation put through to make it illegal to uh, own, have ownership over another human being in that way, and uh, persevered through all his life and didn't see much success. But that was his one aim in life. That was his great goal. And uh, the law was eventually changed at the very end of his career. And just within, I forget now, I think it was days of when he died. So barely, just before he died, he saw the fruits of his labors. But he had this urgent need. And by the way, William Wilberforce was not just a politician. He was a a, a strong evangelical Christian. Uh, In fact, even at the very beginning of his labors, he saw that the problem with Great Britain was that they didn't understand, not only did they not understand the doctrine of justification, they didn't understand the difference between justification and sanctification. He said, this is the problem, the essential problem of Great Britain. We don't understand the difference between justification and sanctification. And uh, that's the great problem that we have in Canada today. Even in evangelical churches, we don't understand that distinction. And uh, I, I hope that you do, if you're 
confused about that, look at our larger catechism, question 77, and it will explain the difference. We are not saved by our works, uh, and we're not sanctified by our works either. Uh, we are saved by grace, and we produce good works out of thankfulness. So here's the urgency. Uh, William Wilberforce, the only one who, uh, there was the Clapham sect that kind of uh, supported him, but they were just a minority. But they stood fast. They said, this is not right, and we need to change the laws of our land. And the Lord eventually blessed that, but not through much perseverance. So he had that urgency, that, that goal that the Lord had placed upon his heart. What are the things that are deeply important to you? Uh, the, the, the sanctification of your own soul, your own holiness. Do you plead with the Lord to make you holy? And does he sometimes feel afar off uh, as though he's not hearing that prayer? He said, God, you are a holy God. You've commanded us to be holy as you are holy. And yet my life is just not as holy as I would like it to be. I, I just seem to be filled with hypocrisies and seem to be filled with more disobedience than I would like to admit and my life is not what it ought to be I would like to be have a more faithful testimony for Christ I would like to have a stronger word for Christ in in season and uh, when the Lord doesn't grant that beloved we need to stay at that place and just pray who else is going to give you those things who else is going to make you holy but the Holy Spirit who else is going to uh, make you to grow in grace, but the Lord Jesus Christ. So often we cry out, <clears throat> instead of crying out to the Lord, we seek holiness in our own way. Jeremiah, in the second chapter, uh, asked the children of, of Israel, why gaddest thou about so much to change thy way? Why are you so busy changing the way that you live when the problem is in your heart? You've not addressed it at the root level, but you're trying to change this or that or the next thing uh, in your life, and maybe, uh, maybe God will bless that. If God uh, produces holiness. He produces the fruit of the Spirit. When we don't have that fruit of the Spirit, we ought to be jealous for it, uh, for more of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it comes from the Lord, and we ought to plead for that. So we need to go to Christ first, beloved. Go to Christ first. This woman heard of Christ and she went to Christ. And what do you do then when he answers you not a word? You still worship him? It's a great blessing to see people who are struggling with their faith, who are disappointed in the way their life is going, and who sometimes even complain against the providences of the Lord, but you do see them in the Lord's house on the Lord's day because they know that that's where they're going to have their problems resolved. It's beautiful, a beautiful thing to see, a soul that's struggling. We have so many that just are not struggling. They don't feel, they just feel a little tired on Sunday morning and they stay in bed. There's no discipline 
There's no desire. There's no habitual attending upon the means of grace. And yet these other ones who are struggling and have, have great temptations before them and great trials that they're in the midst of. And above all, they say, I need to be with the Lord's people. And it's, it is a beautiful thing to see faith working in just that way. This is where I'm going to see the answers of life. Psalm 73, right? The psalmist says, why is God blessing the heathen? Why is he blessing the ungodly? They're, they all seem to be having delightful lives. They've got wonderful families. They've got large homes. They've got three cars in their driveway. Their business is successful, and I'm the one who's struggling. I'm the one who's having difficulty. I'm the one who just, God seems to be so far away. What is happening? And he, again, he pleads these things with the Lord, doesn't he? And what happens? Then went I into the house of the Lord, and I understood their end. And for all of their pleasure, for all of their wealth, they're destined for eternal damnation. They're going to be in hell. And I have the hope of the gospel. So it's in the sanctuary of God, it's in the, the fellowship of the saints that we understand and get that perspective of life and everything makes sense again, doesn't it? We, yes, this is, this is where life makes sense. It doesn't make sense out there when I'm surrounded by people that have different goals and values. But here I come and I belong. This is the place where I belong and things begin to make sense. Out there sometimes it feels as though God doesn't hear us. But here we come and uh, we know, we know that there's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that there's eternal punishment for those who reject Christ as their Savior. So to continue to worship the Lord, to come into that place and to cry out unto the Lord as Hannah did. Uh, dear sweet Hannah, she, she just is unburdening her heart in the house of the Lord. Uh, she is. She has this burden of having a closed womb, and her uh, uh, Panina is mocking her and uh, making things way worse for her than they need to be. But she's bearing all of this. Pours out her heart to the Lord, and uh, Eli at least says, "Well, the Lord grant you your petition." And the Lord does, and the Lord opened her womb. And the rest is just a wonderful story of, of Samuel. So we continue to cry out even when we think the Lord is not hearing us. And what would you do if he sent you away? He said, you don't belong here. Maybe through, through the Lord's own servants in their weakness or in their carnality. He said, you don't belong here. And only faith says, I do belong here. I can't, I can't feel comfortable anywhere else. I'm not at home anywhere else. Christ is the way of salvation. Very remarkable. And all of this, in all of this, Jesus is working faith in her heart to strengthen her faith, isn't he? Because he's, he's the one who gives the faith. He's the one that produces the faith. He's the one that's strengthening her faith. And then he commends her at, at the end. What she does, though, do you do what, what this woman does? Do you use every argument that you can? When God seems to be sending you away, 
when God says, or seems to be saying, there's no place for you here, you say, but I belong here. And what is the greatest argument that you can use? That Jesus died for my sins. I belong here because Jesus is my Savior. I belong here not because of my works, but in spite even of my good works. Even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You think of the old Puritan prayer where they would ask the Lord to forgive them for their good works. Even our good works are tainted with sin. And yet the Lord receives us. So it's not by what we do. It's not the number of tears we, uh, we pour out. It's not by the things that we deny. Although all of those things are good. Tears of repentance are a blessing from the Lord. Our good works of gratitude are a blessing from the Lord. Our earnest prayers are a blessing from the Lord. But they're not our salvation. They're all produced because we have been saved by the grace of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to use these arguments, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. I believe my, my name was written on the palms of his hands, as Isaiah says. Even as they put the nail, nailed through his hands, my name was inscribed on his hand. So, beloved, it is a great blessing to be convinced that you cannot receive anywhere else what Christ alone can give you, what is the deepest need of your heart can be provided by Christ alone to give you faith, to give you perseverance when you're discouraged, when you feel as though God is far away. We talk about our prayers not going past the roof. You can feel that way sometimes. But to know and have confidence that whether I think God hears me, whether I feel as if God hears me, He's promised to hear me for Jesus' sake. Whatsoever ye ask in my name, says Jesus, I will give it to you. And here's our, our great confidence, not our feelings uh, of how these things are perceived, but the objective word of God and to go back and to read these things. Why did John write his gospel? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He wrote his first epistle, first John, written for the same for the same reason, when you're lacking assurance, you're not sure, am I saved or am I not saved? Read the Gospel of John. Read the first epistle of John. The very purpose of writing them was to make sure that you would have that assurance, to give you that assurance that uh, you're saved by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the only way. And beloved, if uh, Christ, even as a believer, if Christ seems far away to you, persevere. You know that he is the way. You know by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is the only way, the truth, and the life, and that he will answer your prayer for faith, for an increase of faith. And uh, the disciples asking, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. May the Lord grant unto us that we may look to him alone and rest and abide in him in a perfect and most holy way. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we are very weak, but thou art strong. Lord, our feelings often overwhelm us, feelings of discouragement, which we know to be sin against thee, feelings of distance from thee, which we know often arise out of our own sin. O oh Lord, we pray that thou heal and forgive 
that in these dark days that we may have the glorious light of the gospel shed abroad upon our hearts, that we may desire earnestly to see Christ in all of his glory, even though it be but through the latticework. We ask of thee, Lord, that thou wouldst grant that we may ever seek Christ, though he seem to be far away. We know that he is, he is nigh unto us in all things. We ask of thee that thou would strengthen our faith as we seek to serve thee. We ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Hymn number 311, Come to the Savior. 311. Let us stand to sing. <laughs> 